Good morning. You may be seated. Get myself situated here. Praise God for another beautiful Lord's Day. Amen. It's a blessing for Mandy and I last night to be able to see our daughter Callie and to be able to pray over her as they had their commissioning service. Team mission and her flight flew out this morning at 6 a.m. Uh, so we can be praying for her uh, as well. So our message today, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. As you're turning there, it's good to see Pastor Doug and the Nicholson family back safely. Missed you guys. Thankful for a safe return. Pastor Jim and Miss Kathy are uh, on their way back so we can pray for them as well. But Mark chapter 9 verses 14 through 29. Jesus, the compassionate giver of faith. Jesus, the compassionate giver of faith. Let me share just a few introductory thoughts and then we'll read the passage and pray. You know, many times in Christianity, we think about or we have what we call mountaintop experiences. You feel like your wings are soaring, you're on the top of a mountain. When we think about the passage we just came out of, it was definitely a mountaintop experience there at Mount Hermon of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ that Peter, James, and John were able to experience uh, the, the glory of God as uh, the humanity of Christ was kind of unveiled for them to see the power, the glory, uh, the majesty of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's really hard for us to fathom that and how amazing that was. And even though they didn't fully understand uh, everything that Jesus was preparing them for, and they were still wrestling through of the utmost importance of the gospel, like we talked about last week. I'm sure it was an exciting time. So they come down the mountain, and they immediately enter the valley. And as you think about your own life, how many times you were in the Word, we're praying. It could even be in the morning and you're like fired up and the Lord has really encouraged you and strengthened you in your faith. And then an hour later, whether at work or something with the kids or whatever it may be, it's like, ah, this is so hard. And the battle rages and it begins. That's what we're going to see this morning. So we're going to see today that the Christian life is a continual life of faith in the midst of suffering and affliction. Jesus was constantly teaching the disciples to depend on him moment by moment. So let's read Mark chapter 9, 14 through 29, and then we'll pray. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them 
and scribes were arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and they ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said unto them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, and some translations say by prayer and fasting. Let's pray together. Lord, we are humbled we're in your presence this morning gathered together in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ God we recognize this morning by your grace by work of your spirit through the truth of your word it's only because of you that we're able to be here it's only because of you that there's salvation God you're the giver of faith it's not something we muster up on our own and so, God, would you help us this morning with all of our weaknesses, through all the trials and the tribulations and the sufferings? Father, there may be someone this morning that's really hurting and really struggling. God, they need a work of your spirit. Father, we all need the truth of your word to encourage us and to strengthen us in the faith. Father, as I mentioned earlier, thankful for our pastors. Thank you that Pastor Doug and his family are back safely. And as Pastor Jim and Miss Kathy travel back, we, we pray for safety for them. Thank you for all those that you've already sent out or you'll be sending out on mission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Pray specifically for, for Callie and her team this morning that you'll keep them safe. God, you've called us to love you, to love others, and to take the gospel to all nations. Continue to strengthen us to do that, Lord. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. So our first truth this morning as we look at verse 14 is life is filled with conflict. 
Life is filled with conflict. Look at verse 14. Jesus and Peter, James, and John, the context of verses 1 through 13, they come down the mountain, and they come to the other nine disciples. There's a great crowd that has gathered around them. There's the scribes, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law there in the Jewish community that also have gathered. And they've come to argue with the disciples. The word for arguing there means they are having a heated debate. So it's pretty intense. We don't know all the details of exactly what they're arguing over, but there's some debate that is happening. Verse 15, the crowd then sees Jesus. They recognize him as he's come down the mountain. As always, they're greatly amazed. They're astonished and they run to him. Remember, this is the third year now of the public ministry of Christ. They've seen his miracles. They've seen him heal. And they are ready to talk with him. So then in verse 16, Jesus begins to ask, well, what is this arguing about? And I want you to think about the contrast. Contrast. Last week, the weeks before, we talked about the transfiguration we were focused on the glory of God, the glory of Christ. I mean, they're, they're worshiping Christ. They come down into the valley. Isn't it just typical of humanity? Arguing, bickering, complaining, whining. So, I mean, you, you go from this mountaintop experience to they're down in the valley and there's conflict. And their struggle. And there's something else going on in this passage we're going to unpack this morning. In the midst of them arguing, you remember from reading the text? There's a boy that's suffering. There's a father that's hurting. Because he has a son that's possessed by a demon... He has a son that's mute and deaf, a son that's convulsing, being thrown onto the ground. And this father is absolutely helpless. And while that is going on, the disciples and these religious leaders are arguing with one another. Sad. If we're not careful, let's apply this to us. We can lose focus on ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And by the way, ministering the gospel to one another right here in our church family. We can begin to argue and complain and bicker and whine over things that really don't matter. We're always having to guard our hearts moment by moment through the truth of God's word and the work of his spirit. The gospel is worth dying for. The gospel is worth having conversations about. But so many other things are not, right? You probably have heard the old story. Now, we don't have a church building. 
that doesn't necessarily apply to us at this point, but we could argue and complain over the color of the carpet. I want blue carpet. Mandy says she wants red carpet. And we could put all our time, effort, and energy over the color of the carpet. Now, I know that may sound kind of foolish, but if we're not walking in the power of the Spirit, that's what happens. Again, we don't know all the details, but these religious leaders who knew the law of God and these disciples who had been trained and equipped by Jesus for three years now, they are arguing instead of ministering to this boy that is in great need of healing. Life is filled with conflict and many times those conflicts are because of the selfishness of our own hearts. Let's go to the second truth. Life is also filled with suffering. Look at verses 17 and 18. Verse 17, someone from the crowd begins to answer Jesus of Remember the question, well, what do you guys having conflict about? What are you arguing about? Well, this father speaks up. Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Matthew 17, 14, you don't have to turn there, but it says this father, he's so desperate, he gets on his knees before Jesus, begging on behalf of his son. Now, I think it's worth noting, not every muteness, deafness, seizure is a result of demon possession. And we don't have time this morning, but you could go back to Mark chapter 7, 31 through 37. There was a man with a speech impediment who was deaf, and it was simply because something was physically wrong with him, not because he was possessed by a demon. Now, verse 18, look at this vivid description. This demon-possessed boy, whenever it seizes him, it means it would take control of this boy. It would throw him down. It's so easy for us to read this, but put yourself in the shoes of this father, and he watches his boy being dashed to the ground, thrown to the ground. His son would foam at the mouth and he would grind or gnash his teeth in pain. And then he would become rigid. It was almost as if life itself had been sucked out of him. If you've ever seen someone experience a seizure, a seizure, excuse me, very similar. But again, this is not a grandma seizure. Those things are real and they do happen because of brain dysfunctions. But this is something that's happening because this boy is possessed by a demon. Why do we hear of demon possession so much in the Gospels? Well, I believe it's because God is on the scene. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is right there. And this is a frontal attack against God of the demonic forces 
trying to destroy Jesus and his people. Now, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we need to understand this morning that Satan and his demonic horde are a defeated foe. I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but you can go to Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, and it talks about how Jesus has disarmed the rulers, the authorities, talking about in the spiritual realm, and he has defeated them through the cross and his resurrection. Amen and hallelujah. 1 John 3, 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, we could have a theological discussion of what all that means, but to some extent, the devil is bound. But our world is still filled with much evil. The devil is still a real enemy. And by the way, the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. And there is much evil and wickedness that still happens in our world today. If you watch the news this morning, there's rioting going on in Paris, France. And there were multiple people shot and killed in Baltimore, Maryland. Now, did the devil have something to do with that? I, I, I think you can say, well, yes, we understand his evil influence. But was it also the sinfulness of man's heart? Yes. Demon possession is an attempt to distort and destroy the image of God in man. But the point of the message today is not to get into that theological discussion. What I want to focus on, when we think about suffering, we think about this father. Watching your child suffer has to be one of the hardest trials in life. You know, the scripture goes on to say that this evil spirit had cast this boy into fires. You know, in that context of the first century, there would have been fires all over the place. It's part of their cooking, their meals. This little boy was thrown into water multiple times. And it says the demon was trying to destroy him, trying to kill him. Guys, think about that. Think about your son. Think about your daughter. And he's thrown, he's cast into fire. And his skin is on fire. And he's thrown into the water and he's drowning. And there's nothing you can do to stop it from happening. This father would have been an absolute, desperate, broken man as he watched his little boy suffer day after day after day from childhood. Suffering is hard. If you don't hear me say anything else this morning, you need to hear that. Life is hard. Suffering is hard. And there are people in our church right now that are going through it. And if we get so busy and so caught up in our petty little arguments and conflicts and whatever else, shame on us. Brother Andy, cancer doesn't stop when your birthday comes, does it? 
sure doesn't. Brother Andy's here this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. He's able to be here by the grace of God. Questions linger in our minds. God, why don't you heal my child from this genetic disorder or this disease or cancer or whatever it may be? I was reading in one counseling book, a mom, she lamented, God, you don't understand what it's like to watch your child suffer and die. But as she uttered those words, God gripped her heart. And God does understand. Because he gave his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to suffer a cruel death, to be afflicted and to be persecuted to be beaten. God does understand. And God is good. And God is faithful. And God is sacrificed. And the gospel of God's grace overwhelmed her heart. I was reading about Costi Hen, three month old son diagnosed with cancer in 2019. And here's what he said. We had to learn to let go of what we thought life was going to look like. But he said it was hard. And it was a journey. It was a process. Trusting God in the midst of suffering. And that's what this father is going to have to do. Now the father had asked the disciples to cast this demon out, but they were unable to do so. Again, we don't have time, but if you go back to Mark chapter 6, verses 7 and 13, guys, they really should have been able to cast this demon out. Jesus had given the apostles power over the demons. We don't know all the details, but to some extent, they were not believing. They were not trusting. Maybe they were depending on the faith that they had in Christ in the past but they were not depending on Christ in the moment. Because Jesus wasn't physically with them because he was up on the Mount Hermon, the Mount of Transfiguration. And so they lacked faith in Christ in the moment. And this leads to our third truth. Life is filled with conflict. Life is filled with suffering. And life is also filled with unbelief. Look at verse 19. Jesus responds, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? The letter O there, it's interesting, it's just a, a marker of direct, forceful addressing of someone. And it's a marker that's filled with emotion. I mean, you need to feel this is coming from deep within Jesus. Oh, faithless generation. I mean, I want you to think about that. These religious leaders who had the law of God, these disciples who had been with Jesus and he had taught them, equipped them for three years now. The crowds who had seen the great power of God. And they're missing it. You know, the word generation there means people of the same time or people of the same kind. You know, in one sense, he probably is calling out the crowd. In one sense, he's probably calling out the religious leaders. But I think specifically, he's really addressing the disciples. 
these men that he had chosen, that he had poured into, and they're missing it. Jesus had empowered them for such a time as this, and yet they were unable to cast out this demon. The weak faith of the disciples was saddening to Jesus. They were still filled with unbelief, and so he exhorts them with the questions, How long shall I be with you? How long do I have to bear with you? How long do I have to put up with you? And you know what? Jesus would say the same thing about me. And he'd say the same thing about you. Faith is so weak and it's so frail, or at least I'll speak for myself. Shame on me so many times in my life of just doubting the goodness, the faithfulness, the power of God, whatever the situation may be. Life is filled with unbelief. And if you're anything like the disciples, if you're anything like the crowd, if you're anything like these religious leaders, if you're anything like this father in this passage, you struggle with unbelief as well. For some of us here, we're still dead in our trespasses and sins. You don't have faith. God hasn't given you a new heart. There hasn't been a time in your life where you've repented of your sin and you've trusted in Christ alone to save you. And then for those of us that are in the faith, we still struggle to live by faith moment by moment. So we've looked a lot at the hard stuff, haven't we? Conflict, suffering, unbelief. But let's turn the corner here to verses 20 through 22, the fourth truth this morning. Praise God. Hallelujah. Life is filled with the compassion of Jesus. Life is filled with the compassion of Jesus. Look at verse 20. They bring the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit sees Jesus, look what happens immediately. It convulses the boy. It's almost like this one last effort of this demonic spirit trying to show you know, its power, its authority before Christ. And this little boy falls on the ground and he rolls about. He's foaming at the mouth again. I mean, we read that and it's really hard for us to fathom just how terrible this scene would have been for this father. And what this little boy was going through. You know, I read one thing, you know, talking about concussions. There's no telling how many concussions this little boy would have had as his head would have been beaten on the ground and different things and how he would have been burned so many times with fire. And I mean, that's, I've never myself been burned, but I, I've had conversations with those that have and just how terrible that pain is, of the suffering of what this little boy went through. But then look at verse 21. Oh, the compassion of Jesus. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father responds from childhood. So this is, we don't know all the ages, but this has been going on for years. Why does Jesus ask this question? I mean, he's Jesus. He's the son of God. He already knows the answer. But you want to know why he asked the question? 
because Jesus cares deeply about this dad and this boy. And Jesus does the same thing in your life. Jesus is never too busy for you to be able to cry out to him with whatever it is you're struggling with. He wants to hear your heart. He wants to hear your prayers. He wants to hear your sorrows, your griefs, your pain, your suffering. Yes, he already knows. But 1 Peter 5, 7, this is what Pastor Doug read earlier, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Did you catch it? Casting, it's like a fishing net. You just throw it out there. And he doesn't say, just the big ones. Just throw the big anxieties on me. No, that's not what it says. Casting all, A-L-L, all your anxieties upon me because I care. Now in verse 22, it says that often had cast him into the fire. We've talked about that and into water to destroy him. But listen to the cry of this father's heart. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. This father's desperate. I mean, he knew who Jesus was, but he's wavering, he's doubting, he's struggling. But Jesus, would you please have compassion? Would you please help me and my son? Jesus is compassionate. And that leads us to our final truth this morning. Truth number five, and I'm going to spend the most time here. We're not going to quite get through all of this passage. Because I think this next truth is really, really important. The fifth truth that we'll see this morning, verses 23 and 24. Jesus overcomes our unbelief. Jesus overcomes our unbelief. Look at verse 23. Look at the response of Jesus. Jesus says unto him, If you can, with an explanation point, do you not know who I am? If you can. And Jesus isn't, he's not being sarcastic. He's not belittling him, but he's challenging him. If you can, of course I can. I'm the son of God. I'm the Messiah. I'm the chosen one. I've calmed the seas. I've fed 5,000. Five loaves and two fish. I've cast out demons. I've healed the blind. I've healed the sick. I've raised the dead. If you can. And then he goes on to say, all things are possible for one who believes. Now, we got to park here for a little bit because you could take that one phrase, all things are possible for one who believes, and you could build a lot of false theologies out of that, can't you? And a lot of people have. We have to take the whole Bible and allow the Bible to interpret itself. You know, I could take that. Well, if I just believe, I'll have everything that I want. I'll never have any more sickness, disease, or anything. I'll have all the money that I want, all the cars, all the houses. Because if I just believe, that's what this passage says, then I'll have it. It'll be mine. God's like my little genie in the bottle. And I just rub, and I manipulate, 
And I get God to do what I want Him to do. And instead of worshiping God, we're worshiping faith. Happens every single day all over the world. And they would use a verse like this. Turn to 1 John 5, 14 and 15. 1 John chapter 5, 14 and 15. I don't know if that was something... The phone just made a noise there, Pastor Tom. I can't tell if it's still on or not, but anyway. 1 John chapter 5, 14 and 15. God's word says this. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Did you catch? There's something very important. According to his will. Christians, suffering, affliction is a vital part of the plan of God. All you have to do is go to the cross and you see that. And our Lord and Savior. It's for the glory of God. It's for the furtherance of the kingdom. It's for our own sanctification. And I just want to walk very briefly through some passages. Think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. I love their response. When old King Nebuchadnezzar had made that big statue of gold that everybody had to bow down and worship. Well, they weren't going to bow down and worship. Because they were worshiping the one true God. And here's what they said. Because it was said, if you, if you don't bow down and worship this big statue, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. They said, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us out of your hand, O God. But if not, which by the way, praying that is not a lack of faith. But if not, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We believe that our God is more than able to deliver us from this fiery furnace. But if he chooses not to, we're okay with that too. They had an eternal perspective. And that should be our perspective. Yes, we should pray for God to move and work and deliver and heal. But if God chooses not to, we're going to worship our God anyway. John 9, 3. Pastor Doug has hit on this many times. There was a man that was blind from birth. Scriptures say it, wasn't not, it was not that this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This man was born blind. This man and his family suffered for many, 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 many years so that Christ, when he came on the scene as the Messiah, would ultimately heal him and God would be glorified in his timing. So sometimes we wonder, how long, O oh Lord? And I can't answer that question for you, except to say, as long as the Lord wills. Or maybe 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul prayed three times to be delivered from the thorn in his flesh. Again, we should pray for God to work and to heal and 
for him to be magnified in whichever way he chooses. And so Paul was praying, deliver me from this thorn in the flesh. He prays three different times, but God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So for Paul's case, it was for the glory of God, but it was also for Paul's sanctification to be made more and more and more like Jesus through the suffering. And we could say the same for us. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Again, I'm not going to turn there, but the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Guys, you got to be okay that there's a lot of things we just simply don't understand. We don't have all the details. We're not God. But we do know that our God is good. Our God is faithful. And everything that's happening in our lives is for his glory, our good, and the furtherance of the gospel. And if you don't keep that before you, I don't see how you don't lose your mind to be able to hang on to the truth of who God is and the truth of his word. I thought about Pastor Tom. Why was he graciously brought back from death when you were on the deathbed of COVID? And we prayed. We did pray for God to deliver you. And I think we should. And we should have. And Miss Stacy, God chose to do that. But I think you had settled it in your heart and hopefully we had settled in our hearts as your church family that if God chose not to, you were going to be delivered in the glories of heaven. But God chose to bring you back. All glory to God. But then someone else may ask, well, that didn't happen with my family member. It's hard. God doesn't heal everybody. And by the way, Pastor Tom, in tribute to you, 10 out of 10 people die. Even when God chooses to heal, you're still going to face the reality of death. And what's most important is that you have Christ to deliver you from death and the wrath of God and the judgment of God against your sin. Also, by the way, we're getting short on time. Jesus doesn't need our faith to perform a miracle. He doesn't. He fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, and the disciples sure didn't have a lot of faith that day. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Last time I checked, Lazarus didn't have faith. He was dead. Mary and Martha didn't have a lot of faith that day either when you read John 11. The man that was possessed by a legion of demons in Mark chapter 5 that Jesus delivered. Last time I checked, he didn't have faith either. But Jesus delivered him. And by the way, nobody else wanted anything to do with that man. Malchus, the servant that Peter cut off his ear. Peter obviously didn't have faith and could care less about Malchus at that point in time. But Jesus picked up his ear and he put it right back on. Yes, there are times when we see God working through the faith of people to heal them, but there are many times when we see God at work where there's no evidence of faith at all. So don't be trying to pigeonhole God that he can only work if we have enough faith. That's a lie of the devil. And that gets taught all the time too. It's not true. 
The Lord is not limited by our weak faith. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Because there's many times in my life my faith is really, really weak. So two ditches that we can fall into if we're not careful. The first ditch, we somehow control or manipulate God with our faith. Thus, when one is not healed, it's their own fault because they lack faith. That's terrible for people to have to hear that and to suffer through that. Because it's God's will to heal everyone. So lack of faith is what keeps God from healing someone or performing a miracle. Everything becomes dependent on faith and not on God. Now, the other ditch, and this is probably maybe the more so for our church, we might fall into this one. Okay, I think hopefully by God's grace we've been taught well enough. This is wrong, what I just shared with you. But we might fall into this one a little more easy. Well, God is sovereign. He's sovereign over everything, so he doesn't need me. It doesn't really matter if I pray. It doesn't really matter if I believe. God's just going to do what he's going to do anyway. Guys, that's not right. God's called us to pray. God's called us to believe. God's called us to seek after him. God's called us to trust him. We should pray moment by moment. We should be men and women, boys and girls of faith, trusting God to do the impossible. So don't fall into that trap. Well, God's sovereign. He's just going to do what he's going to do. It doesn't really matter about me. Don't fall into that trap. Because it does matter that you trust God with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. We should pray for God's healing, but we trust his sovereignty if he chooses to not heal the way that maybe we desire. So no, the biblical response in the midst of our trials and tribulations shouldn't be these, but instead it should be verse 24. I love this. If, you don't, if you've been zoned out, give me about five more minutes and zone back in. Because this verse is awesome. Mark 9, 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. Pretty much sums up the Christian life, doesn't it? Jesus, I do believe. By your grace, I believe in you. But my faith is so weak. It's so frail. I so need help. Mandy gets to hear this all the time. I don't know why she puts up with me. <laughs> I so need help. Faith is a gift from God. Remember that. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Romans 12, 3. God assigns a measure of faith to his people. So if, if you have repented of your sin, you've trusted in Christ alone to save you, you do have a measure of faith today by God's grace. It's a gift of God. It's not something you muster up. God graciously gives it. Praise God that we have the faith that we have. But as Froll said... No matter how strong your faith is, because for some of you, maybe your faith is really strong right now. But no matter how strong your faith is, there's going to be moments in your life when you're going to be assaulted by the enemy and you're going to be barely hanging on. Christian, we all have times in our lives when our faith is weak or it's wavering. Life is a battle. Our thinking can get off track, can it? 
We begin to get overwhelmed with the circumstances of life. It happens to me all the time. We live in the land of what ifs. What if? Well, what if this? What if, what, what if something happens to the plane today that Callie's on? What if? What if? What if? Right? And you can get so consumed of anxiety and worry and stress. What if? What if? What if? What if? And that's a lack of faith. It's a lack of trust. Our hearts are so sinful and selfish. We get our eyes on ourselves instead of focusing on Jesus. So here's some practical applications. Sproul said this, when those times happen, and they will, when you're assaulted with all these doubts and your faith seems frail, go to the source of faith, which is the Word of God. That's what I have to do every single moment, every single day, going to God's Word to help me with my lack of faith. Kent Hughes said this about getting help from others. A faith which declares itself publicly and at the same time recognizes its weaknesses and pleads for help is a real faith. It's okay to be open and honest and genuine with one another that you are struggling. That's a sign of real genuine faith. Pastor Eric, I can't do this. Would you pray for me? I am struggling. I do believe but God help my unbelief. That's what this father's doing. He's crying out with real faith. So here's the conclusion. Jesus ultimately heals this boy. We'll unpack this more the, the next time. But today, we've seen life is filled with conflict, suffering, and unbelief. By the grace of God, we'll leave this piece of, piece of property today. And in some way, shape, or form this week, if the Lord blesses you with each day, you're going to face conflict, suffering, and unbelief, whether in your own heart or someone else. But remember the last two truths. Jesus is compassionate, and Jesus can overcome your unbelief. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for blessing us with this day. Thank you for this wonderful passage where, Jesus, we get to see who you are. We get to see our desperate need for you. We are like the disciples. Our faith is weak and frail at times. We need you. We're like this father who was going through such suffering affliction of watching his son and he didn't know what to do and all he could do was hang on to you Jesus may we do the same whether it's within our own hearts that we're suffering or maybe somebody that we love that's suffering and struggling Lord help us to be a compassionate church help us to see the needs of others help us to see the needs of those around us that we would minister the gospel of grace to one another and then father most importantly Help us to see the need of the gospel for those that are still lost and dead in sin as they have the greatest need this morning, the need of salvation. And they can only be saved through the person and work of Christ. Help us to be about the gospel this week. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship our Lord and Savior together.